You're listening to the Punisher Waterfowls, the Union 0430 podcast. Brought to you by Real Geese Decoys, the most technological advanced silhouette decoys on the market, and Vortex Canada, the force of optics. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Union 0430. This is episode 128, and boy, do we have a treat for you today. Um, We have Mr. Tom Lochner on, and uh, even though you may not recognize his name from from the waterfowling community, and I know we have a ton of first responders, firefighters that listen to this show, but you will definitely recognize his product, and that is the, the fire safety glove. Uh, firecraft safety products, his firefighter gloves. Um, this man has forgotten more than we'll ever know about about, about the glove industry. So uh, let's jump in. This is a really special one because obviously, as you all know, Dave is a firefighter. So Dave is extremely invested into this conversation. Um, so uh, Mr. Tom Lochner, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. I know we had a uh, a bunch of back and forth to try and figure out a, a time that would work for all of us. But, uh, but we managed it to, to get you down and as you are a very busy man and, uh, and thanks for coming on and joining us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, you guys are in Ontario and I kind of started off a lot of my duck hunting in your province down at Walpole Island. There you go. So Dave, uh, and I, I, and I think there's a place in there called Mitchell's Bay. <laughs> um, yeah, we shot a lot of redheads out there. Yeah. It, it, it's funny because um, I've never hunted Mitchell's Bay or Wapo Island, but Dave has. And the stories he tells me about that place um, is is insane. Yeah, it's uh, it, it used to be really good. I don't know if it still is, but um that's the first time I ever knew that corn grew in the bottom of some of those ponds. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how it happened. And our guide said, how'd that get there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I, the hunter in me wants to say like, no, it's terrible because I want to keep that place to, you know, just a few people, but really there's tons of people there and yeah, it's, it's still great hunting there. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guides, the guides, most of the ones that we've had were really very nice and they're, they're fun to deal with. Yep. Yep. And there's still a lot of the guides up there, just great guys, exceptional people. So yeah, yep. yeah. It's, it's fun. It's not crowded either. That's what I like about it. Well, that might've changed. I oh. think people, people found out about it and now it's getting crowded. Oh, okay. Yeah. The boat All brigades right. and the. All right, Damien, what, what would you like to hear about gloves? So what I would like, so first off, I want to talk about this, this crazy idea that, and, and I guess I want, what I want to do is I want to get the history because, you know, over 40 years, you've been in this industry of, of creating gloves and, and you created um, with, with Mr. W.L. Gore, the first waterproof insert to go inside a, a fire glove right? Uh, right and and that will translate into where we are today with with the the duck hunting glove but i really wanted to talk to you about um 
you know, you as a duck hunter, and you sort of kind of just touched on it, but that duck hunting and then and then transitioning your fire glove into duck hunting. So it'll be a little bit of back and forth, I think, in, in trying to hammer out um, the timeline. And, and I could be doing this as formus. Um, but, um, you know, I guess the best thing to do is start with how long have you been duck hunting compared to making fire gloves? I started duck hunting at 10 years old. Um, there you go. With, with my, my father and I have two brothers and he, he enjoyed it. Uh, and so we learned to appreciate the outdoors and uh, learned how to uh, pluck ducks, learned how to cook them. Uh, and uh, I currently have a freezer full of speckle belly as we call down here, the ribeye in the sky. Um, but I started uh, playing around with fire gloves back in 1975, and I bought a company that was a glove firm. And I worked with Gore, as you indicated. I'm impressed that you've done your, your homework. I guess you read our website or something. But, um, anyway, uh, we, we worked with Gore and developed the insert that goes into fire gloves. And uh, so that's when I started doing it. Um, so we've had con considerable experience on how to make sure that that moisture barrier stays in the glove and doesn't mm -hmm. invert. There's, there's, as a firefighter, the worst thing that can happen is, for some reason, you take your glove off during an incident and the lining comes out. You can't get it back in and you've got to leave. Um, so I made sure that our gloves do not have that occur. And over the past number of years, we've learned how to make sure they do stay. Occasionally, because they're handmade, there's a problem and doesn't, doesn't stay in there properly. We will replace the gloves, mm -hmm. no questions asked. Uh, how, we got, how we morphed into adding the quack attack line of gloves is pretty simple. We, uh, I've also hunted uh, extensively down in the state of Arkansas mm -hmm. and uh, in, a, in a place called DeWitt and also Stuttgart, which is uh, the duck the capital major, of the world. Yeah, major flyway down there. And um, uh, oh, about four years ago, um, our guide proudly showed off a brand new pair of the most well-known hunting gloves in the U.S. And I won't say their name, but yes, they use Gore-Tex as the moisture barrier. Uh, he said, my son just gave these for Christmas. He said, I got to go out. Some of those deeks don't look right. I've got to go out and I'll replace them. This was in the flooded uh, rice paddies. So he goes out, does this with a couple of me, lets out a couple of expletives. And he said, these are brand new gloves and they're leaking. <laughs> and when he came back to the blind, he said, Tom, you make fire gloves. They don't leak. Why can't you make a hunting glove that doesn't leak? And I said, well, I never thought about it. Uh, and he said, well, think about it. So that's what got me started. And we spent a couple of years um, looking at ways to get these things made. And we're still learning. 
but uh, we came up with, I think, uh, much heavier insulation than what was currently available. But I'm a nut when it comes to dexterity in a glove. And also gloves that go to the tips of your fingers. So mm -hmm. you can take a shell out of a box and, and put it in the magazine without catching it on the action when it closes. So that's what we've done. And uh, we think they're pretty good. Uh, I just got a picture from uh, Arkansas when that cold wave hit uh, mm -hmm. so ago. <laughs> the glove was was iced. And uh, uh, the guy sent, sent this picture. And he said, Tom, the glove is totally iced, but my hand is still warm. He said, how did you do it? And I sent him back a kind of smart-ass remark. And I said, oh, ice is a good insulator. I said, that's why <laughs> Anyway, so so that's what we've done. You know, oh, sorry, Dave, go for it, buddy. You know, it, the the thing that kind of I thought was the neatest of the whole story was you you started out making gloves to keep the heat away from the firefighter to make sure that their hands don't get burnt, and now you're making gloves to make sure that the heat stays in and the water stays out. <laughs> it, it was kind of like under. a like that that mindset shift that you had there four years ago to be like, okay, let's keep the heat in, but but water repellent okay and it, it was kind of yeah i i'm looking at the gloves and you can see the similarities between them but at the same time it's like there's definitely a technology shift here that you had so interesting you mentioned that because um the nfpa standards uh require as as you know dave to withstand certain amount of conductive and radiant heat and uh, on the back of the hand for the radiant heat conductive on the palm. Well, um, we've always said, how come you don't have something to see how much they protect you in cold weather? And uh, I'll never forget one of the guys from FDNY said, Tom, we have learned that if you can keep the heat out, it will also keep the heat in in cold weather. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? Uh, yeah. And so based on that premise, um, you're right. We just flipped it a little bit. Um, but we also, we, we have a lot more insulation in, in our gloves, as I say, than, than other people do. So, um, I hope they keep you warm. Uh, we have some that you can put a heat pack in the back if you wish to. Um, we don't sell the heat packs, but, uh, speaking of the, the heat pack. Yes. So anybody that's anybody that's watching, um, we have the, the quack attack glove right here. And oh, I'm trying to show this, but there's a zippered pocket taped and a tape zipper at that um, to keep the water out. But nice little nice little pouch right in here for your uh, for your heat pack. Sorry to interrupt there, but I wanted to show that. Yeah, we made it so that the heat pack goes down pretty far, almost to your knuckles. Uh, so it keeps the, the back of your hand. Um, somebody asked me, why why don't you put it on a palm? And I looked at him and I said, have you ever shot a gun? Absolutely. The thing that I like, and, and it seems, you know, the more and more people that, that Dave and I talk to um, within the waterfowling world is that, the majority of the great ideas 
come from sitting in the duck blind when a problem happens at the moment. In the moment when somebody is wet, cold, or something's not working, the decoy's not working, is flipping upside down, whatever it may be, it's it's right in the moment when someone goes, man, somebody's got to be able to figure something out better in order to make this more comfortable or or whatever. And, you know, being in Arkansas, like we said, the duck capital of the world uh, in those rice paddies and and sitting there and, and the guide, somebody that does it, you know, it, it was entire. Uh, what am I looking for? His his living is made hunting birds. So who who better than to design something for than the outfitter, right? The guide. So when when he says, "Come on, Tom, you you're a brilliant man." When it comes to gloves, I'm sure you get. I'm sure you have an idea how to figure this out. So uh, let let's get to work. Uh, I I think it's amazing. And the one thing I wanted to touch on is after um, Mr. McCoy got a hold of Dave and I, and he wanted to get us some gloves so that we could try. I like when you, when you had said, you know, you want that dexterity when you're designing the glove and being able to, to, to pull a shell out of the box and, and work it and everything. I don't think I've ever seen such a robust system in sizing a glove for a person as to what, your company has um well uh thank you uh, we do the same for the fire gloves yeah and uh it, it's it's a regular procedure in the fire service to be right. able to provide the best fitting glove that you can for them and so it wasn't a great leap to just morph that system right into the um uh, the hunting gloves, uh, and uh, going back to the uh, Stuttgart locations, um, the guide service that we use is called Quack Attack, mm -hmm. and they also have guides up in northern Saskatchewan, yep. uh, up around, um, oh, I'm trying to remember, Shellbrook, Prince Albert. Um, okay, yeah. Up there. Yep. And um, if you want to see a lot of birds, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> insane. Eh? Up there, I'm sure my jaw dropped. Um, I couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, now the snows have, I don't know where they came from. I yeah. have no idea why they have proliferated like that. Um, but um, I, I hear also that they're starting to die off. Uh, for some reason, I, I don't know why, but anyway, so I had, I asked if I could use the name Quack Attack because I thought, I thought it would, I could, frankly, I couldn't come up with a different name for a glove. I'm very bad about that. <laughs> so they said, sure. So we call it Quack Attack Gloves, and I'm sure that some of their customers out there think that they own the glove company, which is fine. Um, we're, we're good friends, and so anyway, that's how we came up with the name. That that's uh, that's real interesting because um, I I did I wanted to ask you um, throughout throughout the show what your relationship was with the Quack Attack uh, Outfitters so um, it ties it in very nicely that uh, that they were uh, 
I would say the catalyst be, uh, I, I hope that's a fair term to use, um, the catalyst behind you designing the, the glove and, and to where we are today. Um, but you mentioned one thing, uh, and I'm really curious about it, and that is you said we're still learning. Uh, so you, you've created a, a fabulous product already, uh, and you're still learning and still trying to evolve. And, and I'm just wondering if you can touch on any of the, any of the, you know, the points that you're still learning on or, or anything you're trying to improve on. We're always looking for new materials, new fabrics. Right. Uh, the patterns are pretty well dictated by what the gloves are used for. And uh, the changes, it's very similar to what we have in the fire glove market. New materials come out uh, to compete with insulate or some of the other standard insulating uh, fabrics. And uh, I get samples in, there's a company in Switzerland, for example, that makes very exotic stuff, mostly for outdoor activities. And I'm sampling theirs, you know, all the time. So uh, we're always looking for something that will improve the glove and give you better dexterity and enhanced warmth. Uh, that's why we came out also with a, a non-insulated glove for people that in, in warmer weather that don't want insulation in it. And some guys, heck, even in the middle of winter, I've seen guides out there with bare hands. How they do it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I could, um, but so we, we tried to run the range on that. And uh, that's what I look for, are new fabrics that will give better performance. Um, I don't really pay much attention to what they cost because I'm, I'm more interested in doing the best that we can for the people that are using our products. And Fair. we're thrilled that, that you were interested enough to talk to me about what these are. Well, a lot of a lot of credit has to go to uh, Mr. McCoy on that because he found us and reached out to us and and introduced us to the product and said, "Listen, I think this is a, a fabulous product, and and I think uh, Tom needs to come on the show to to talk about it." Uh, was ultimately how we sent the the email to Dave and I, um, and you know when we started reading up about it. Uh, Obviously, we were we were very interested, and and for a lot of reasons, right? Um, Dave, I know you have stuff that you want to ask, and I've been doing a lot of the talking, buddy. So so please go ahead. No, I think we've been covering a lot of it, like the new materials and and an evol evolution of what's going on, and then like transitioning from the fire glove into this, and and still being able to see like obviously the dexterity was a huge portion, and I was like, all right, I've tried on how many pairs of gloves? Yeah. How could how could dexterity and that it's still kind of confusing to me because sometimes you put gloves on and it feels like you got your finger up a squirrel's butt, but here we are using these gloves. And... <laughs> I've never had that experience. <laughs> well, um, yeah. yeah. And now, now we've got these gloves and it's like, I, I could probably tie a fly with some of these on. Like it's, it's pretty, how much time did it actually take you to develop the first set of the quack attack gloves? There's a lot of back and forth. Um, first of all, I, I went out to a couple of the local well-known big box stores and bought samples of everything that they had. Uh, Gore also 
even though I don't use their moisture barriers, um, I found a better moisture barrier made in England. And that's what we use in the fire gloves. We use the same moisture barrier in these hunting gloves. Uh, and uh, the reason I do is that I know that in cold weather, they don't make noise and they don't crack, so they won't leak. Mm -hmm. uh, these things have, I mean, I've tested these for a number of years and they are the best. That's why I put them in, in, the, uh, in the hunting gloves. Um, you go uh, to a big box store and buy the well-known brands or now, I guess they're all going to private label these days. Mm -hmm. But um, in, in my opinion, they're not being very fair with the customers because they're using cheap moisture barriers and they do break readily. And when they get cold, you do this and you can hear them crackle on you. Mm -hmm. uh, sooner or later, that crackle is going to be a break in the, in the moisture barrier. So uh, it, I just wanted to go with what I knew worked and that moisture barrier probably... I guess they could improve it, um, but gee, I, we've used that moisture barrier for, I don't know, 20 years in our fire gloves. Wow. And um, we've never had um, a, any feedback saying, hey, this thing leaks. Um, occasionally, as I say, some of the glue uh, wasn't put on properly or the tape secured or they missed a stitch. It happens, they're all handmade. Um, and we'll replace the gloves. But generally speaking, it's a very durable moisture barrier and will probably outlast the life of the glove. So wow. uh, we, we want to make sure you get something that is, is worthwhile because they're not inexpensive gloves. Now, when you, when you look at materials like that, do you look at cleaning of them? Like, like if I accidentally put them in the washer and dryer, is it going to damage them? Like, we would prefer, and it's the same protocol that we recommend for the fire gloves, Dave. Just pretend you're washing your hands. Take a mild soap, wash them like this, run them under a lot of water. You can, you can put them in an extractor uh, that you might have at your, at your fire station, um, but we would prefer a line dry on these things. Um, they dry pretty fast. Uh, the fire gloves take a little longer to dry just because there's more to them. The, the Kevlar and Omex that we use takes a little longer to dry. Uh, these are all pretty pretty thin fabrics, uh, and even the insulation in there dries pretty rapidly. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I I would prefer you not put them in a in a washing machine. Um, because that will cause some of the tape to break away from the glove. Um, if you make that mistake and you fess up to what you did, <laughs> I'll send you another pair. Please don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about when you design these gloves? How see when Damien and I talk about products all the time, it's like really the waterfowl industry. There's a short window where we can actually product test things and and use things um 
when you first made the first set, how did you, did you go through a full season before you put them to market or, or what was that process? Oh, like? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, well, we, we were tested among a very tough group of individuals with whom I've enjoyed a long association in the blinds. And um, these include the guides in Arkansas and the ones up in Saskatchewan, uh, plus right around here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were tested them and they all came back and they said, hey, these things are, we, we were lucky right out of the box. We, 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 we had it down pretty good. Um, the only thing that we really pay a lot of attention to is the dimension of the glove and to make sure that your fingers go to the tip so that you can pull the shell out of the box. Um, and a couple of the guides even say, hey, they can call with these gloves on. There's not mm. many gloves that do that. No, not at all. Um, and I just wanted to, to, to get this a little bit. Can you talk to us about your testing? So Mr. McCoy sort of kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I'd like to hear it from you. You know, what is your testing for the water, you know, to be able to say that it is 100, you guarantee that it's waterproof. Sure. Yeah, we do. Uh, we have a lifetime guarantee on the products to be not only waterproof, but to not have the moisture barrier or the lining invert. In other words, the glove has to stay totally intact. And uh, we use precisely the same materials that we use in our fire gloves to secure the inside of these gloves. And over the years, we've had these things tested so many times uh, by people in all climates. Uh, that we know that they work. Um, there is no test per se uh, for outdoor gloves. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you put these on next to competitive gloves, you'll see pretty quickly what the difference is. Uh, so uh, there, as I say, there's no, there's no laboratory that will tell you right. this works or this doesn't work. Um, there is simply 30 plus years of making gloves for firefighters. Same thing, we just, we, we change the insulation, we change the lining and we change the outer fabric. Otherwise it's as durable as a firefighter's glove. I, I oh, sorry, go Dave. No, I, my next question was just gonna be about those, um, like you have a decoy glove as well, right? Um, yes. A little longer, was a little longer, but essentially feels the same. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you, boy. This is a great infomercial. Um, <laughs> yeah. We aim to please. Yeah, um, the difference between the uh, decoy glove and the winter hunting glove is number one: the decoy glove has more insulation in it because it does not have the pocket for the heat pack. Um, I, I really don't think you're gonna need it in that glove. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the pocket that we have in that glove, uh, the, the, the winter glove, 
takes up enough room that we really can't pack much more insulation in there and still have a dexterous product. So th those are the those are the two differences. I think that over time, the the decoy glove is going to be the dominant glove that's going to be used. Um, I find it has a little better dexterity simply because the material used in that heat pad pocket doesn't stretch uh, and everything in that decoy glove stretches. So you just have a, a more dexterous product that way. I wanted to, to, to bring up something that, that has nothing to do with the glove, but the fact that you are indeed in Ohio and you, so uh, our show sponsor is is real geese decoys and i'm not sure if you know uh about that company but they're out of ohio too and a good friend of ours brian ellathorpe is out of ohio as well so it's just it, it's just oh, it's, um I, I think we need to do a big hunt in ohio yeah, <laughs> next year i think so but it, it's you know and and it always comes back to this and and it's a little bit surprising for for dave and i um being canadians and and when it comes when you think about the duck hunting world um you think about arkansas and you think about those southern states um but but since we've been doing this show and on and the majority of our guests, 90% of our guests come from south of the border, um, we've we've quickly learned about Northern California and, and Washington State and, and Ohio now and Kansas and Missouri. Um, and we're learning about all these states that don't necessarily get the press or or the attention, and maybe that's by design by all of all of you people that hunt in 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 Ohio and all these other states. Listen, let's not tell everybody. Let everybody keep going to Arkansas, uh, and we'll just keep everything here. So that that that's our tangent for for the episode, I guess. That's Tom came on and he's like. Yeah, I'm from Ohio, but I just go to Mitchell's Bay, so everyone else should go there. Stay away from Ohio. <laughs> but, it, but you know, it is a small world because, like I said, um, Craig Mintz, the Mintz family, um, they sponsored the show. Um, they come from Ohio, and they've uh, a long history of, of being in, in Ohio and hunting geese. And, and then we've got Brian Ellathorpe. Who who does uh, outstanding uh, photography and and some YouTube uh, content for duck hunting on on you know the big water and then here you are with with your very uh, humble beginnings in in the firefighting industry and now you you know because of your because of your love of duck hunting now you've created something um, that I think after this show it's going to get a lot more attention. And, and I know you didn't, and you didn't touch on the name of the other, but there are some brands out there and there's a lot of brands out there, especially in oh, this gosh. outdoor world. Now um, it seems every year there's a new company popping up and, and we're not taking anything away from any company because um, we, we love them all and, and we use a lot of them, but for a waterfowler, I think, Everybody that listens to this show will all agree the hardest product to find is a glove that that people are happy with. I of everything that that a, a jacket, waders, boots, decoys, calls, whatever, people will find something that they'll like. 
but I, I've yet to find anybody that will hand on hurt, take as gospel as, as being the be all end all glove. And I think, um, what you've produced, um, is, is that to be honest. Well, I, I hope we're on the road to providing a, a good product. Um, but we never stop, you know, when there's, when there's something that comes along that says we can improve it, we, we certainly do. Um, I, uh, I, I, I can tell you that in the fire glove business, um, five years ago, all the gloves were leather. Now they're morphing into fabric gloves and heck our fabric fire gloves, you can wash a hundred times and they're they're fine we've had mm -hmm. we've had big departments that have done that and i was shocked um but um we want something that meets your expectations and i guess uh when that well-known brand leaked right out of the box um i began to hear more and more that that's not so uncommon mm -hmm. and, um, and i said how can that be um but the majority of those come from China. Yeah. And uh, they use a local moisture barrier or one that's made in South Korea. Um, but heck, that moisture barrier, those things, they pay maybe between 50 and 80 cents a pair for those. Um, ours are, I, I, I'm not sure what we pay for them. Uh, somewhere around three or four dollars a pair. Um, you can pay nine dollars or ten dollars for the Gore-Tex ones, but they'll still leak on you. The reason they do is that the way they're manufactured, their moisture barrier is fine, mm -hmm. but they're just sloppy. Um, when they make them, they puncture them. Uh, that's how they get damaged, and that's why they leak. Um, so at least I, I think so, because Gore is, is pretty pretty oriented toward turning out good products. Yeah. Uh, they always have been. Uh, and uh, so I think it's all in the production. Uh, we, we just pay a lot of attention to making sure that these things don't leak and that when they're made, they're made carefully and properly. So that, that, that's the difference. We pay attention to detail. Not a lot of other companies can boast that they're just starting to make duck hunting gloves with, you know, 30, 35 years of experience making gloves, mm -hmm. right? A lot of it you see is, yeah, it's a jacket. We make jackets and oh, it's kind of the same material. These gloves will work, right? But so it's yeah. kind of, you got something going for you there. Well, thank you. It, 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 it's fun to be able to provide products for any industry that, that people are complimentary about, and um, we appreciate it. Tom, so when it comes to, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to word this so that it doesn't come across like I, I sound like I'm a jerk. Um, but when you're, you know, when you're out and about and, and you're hunting and, and, uh, let's, uh, and I'm not taking for granted the fire glove, um, and the industry, because I think you, you've, you've established that, that you've set a standard 
um, when it comes to the fire glove and, and, and like you've alluded to, um, you're all over North America, all over the world. Um, and, and you are the standard when it comes to the fire glove, but now when you're out and you're hunting and, and you're coming across not only your friends, but just, just regular people that, that haven't seen your glove or, or know the history behind it. Have you had the opportunity to, to sit next to somebody or, or somebody that, you have no relationship whatsoever with um, where someone has had and used the glove and have said to you, how come it's taken so long for, for us to finally get a great waterfowl hunting glove? Well, we certainly have enjoyed favorable feedback. Okay. And uh, from guides or other outfitters that uh, package tours uh, to people here in Columbus uh, that take the gloves and go out and go pheasant hunting in the Dakotas uh, or out to the rice fields in Arkansas. Um, we, we, we're lucky. We, we've had them tested all throughout the United States and Canada. So um, we're, I, I think we've got a fairly good product uh, and nobody has complained that they leak. And most people are surprised that you can keep them on. You don't have to take them off to do anything. You know, it, it even has a little snot rag on the back of the thumb. Don't even have to take them off to wipe your nose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> what I, we're kind of getting into infomercial territory. So I've got more questions after, but what's the purpose of the tightener here? Because myself, growing up on the farms i i cut those off my farm gloves just <laughs> I, I have big hands and it's something that it just always bugged me and now i i see that and i'm wondering okay you wouldn't put something on a glove that's not specific for a reason so i gotta ask well, i think um this is our uh, one of our fabric gloves that we developed in ontario with a bunch of departments up there it serves the same purpose on this as it does there. When you when you put the glove on and then close the strap, it snugs it down so that your fingers go right to the tip of the glove. That's that is the sole purpose. It's not to keep it from flying off or anything else because there's a little elastic snugger on those in addition to this, but it just gives you a more secure grip on the glove. That's its purpose. I, I kind of figured there was something to it. That's why I had to put it in there. Yeah, so. there. We, you know, it's 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 not put on to be cut off. So don't you do that. <laughs> no, I I wouldn't change your. You put some design into it, right? So yeah, yeah it, so. it does make a difference when you use it. Okay, so I really think that we need to ask. Like, you've probably only got ten or twenty years of experience hunting ducks here, so. I need to hear some <laughs> stories. Like, what are some of your favorite hunts that you've been on? You okay. got to have duck hunting stories, buddy. Um, I, I will tell you this. The first time that I was up in Saskatchewan, I, I had been used to seeing swarms of ducks in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. The likes of which we don't have here in Ohio. Uh, and then to go up to Saskatchewan 
And I'm sure the same thing is true in Ontario. The quantity of birds is just phenomenal. Um, the, the cacophony of geese or ducks coming in in that volume almost makes you forget what you're out there to do because mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's just deafening. Um, and it's a thrill. Um, we also enjoy the wildlife up in northern Canada because you see bear, you see moose, um, all kinds of four-legged creatures running around. Um, mostly it's the people up there, the farmers that you have to ask for permission to hunt on their land. We've never been turned down. Mm -hmm. Especially when there's snow geese up there, they say, please shoot all you can, get them out of here. Um, and we always give the birds away um, to the locals um, because we're not set up to cook when we go up there. So mm -hmm. we don't do that. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I'm embarrassed to say that I have almost hurt some of my friends by having a goose land on their head. Um, everybody's probably done that and you say, don't do that again. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think I, the the first time in an, any area just to see the the, the multiple uh, groups of birds that will come in. Uh, you see these in, in pictures, but boy, to experience it in person. Uh, to me is still a thrill. It is just it's part of nature that, that mm -hmm. most people will never get to experience. Uh, it, it's, the only part of it that kind of gets boring is when you breast them out at the end of the day. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, that, that's a lot of work. Um, you start questioning but, why you shot so many, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here in the states, you you've got a, a pretty good limit, um, and up there, uh, I'm trying to remember if we had limits up up in Saskatchewan or not. I honestly don't remember. Um, I, I'm I'm sure that we did. Um, yeah, we had to have limits. Yeah. Um, uh, but the difference between Stuttgart and Saskatchewan to me is you may limit out in an hour in Arkansas. You may limit out in 15 minutes mm -hmm. in Saskatchewan. Um, but we would stay on just to, just to see the birds. Um, and it is just a thrill to me. That's what hunting to me is all about. And the the lies that you'll tell each other later on at dinner uh, <laughs> make it a wonderful experience and you guys know better than I do. I, I just see on the back of the board, um, you're into a lot more. I'm just into the birds. Uh, I've never gone turkey shooting because I, I can't sit still that long. Oh. I, I make too much noise. Neither can I. I've got ADD. So, yeah, yeah. Come on up. Come on up. I'll show you how I do it. <laughs> um, you know, oh, I, I've I've been to Saskatchewan. I've hunted Saskatchewan once. Um, and, and I can relate to what you're saying when when you say you're an ah. And I can remember one morning, 
that I said, I'm not even going to pick my gun up uh, for, for first, you know, first light when, when you could shoot, I said, because I really just want to, I want to try and see if I can take some video of the amount of duck. I I'm a duck guy. I'm not a, I'm not a goose guy. Um, I love hunting ducks. Um, so the wide range of species that I would see in Saskatchewan was, was what blew my mind because there, there was, it was a hockey sock full of, of every, every type of, of duck that was out there. And I can remember just sitting, we would, we would sit on, on those backboards um, in the white Tyvek suits yeah, and, and birds coming in and almost hitting you in the face. Um, there yeah. was just so many of them. And, and I can remember uh, it, it was still too dark that the video didn't come out any good. Um, but, I, I can totally relate to because it was my first time seeing those numbers of birds and and I I was in awe. I always tell the story without making this super long. I can remember out scouting with the guide one evening and I looked down at a body of water and I, I asked him, I said, you know, how many birds would you would you estimate that's that's down there right now? And he was like, Well, oh, there there's a hundred thousand birds down there right now. And I'm like, that's insane. I was like, how do you even estimate 100,000 birds? And he said, well, he said, it, it's easy because we see it all the time. He said, but that's nothing. This was during, this was mid-October when we were out there. He said, by mid-November, he said, there'll be a million birds in that body of water, oh. which was just absolutely mind-boggling to me. Yeah, there seem to be some changes in the routes that birds take at least through the states mm -hmm. uh, whether it's global warming and it probably is um that's the availability of water um but because it's getting warmer they're not coming south as far as they used to because they can find feed and open water further north than they used to be able to do so um at least that that's been our experience it's it's that's really interesting because Dave and I just recorded a show last night um, where we're talking um, with a friend of ours in Wisconsin, and we were discussing the very same thing. We were talking about different flight patterns, um, weird birds showing up at the later end of the season, you know, um, uh, and Dave and, and, uh, and Brad had talked about Brad shooting the most beautiful wood duck he's ever seen in late November in Wisconsin, which wow. is, which is unheard of. Yeah. It, it was uh, December 5th. He shot it. I think Oh, December said. 5th. Sorry. Yeah. I think yeah, he said it was that. the last, the last day of his season. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and it was, it wasn't like it was one of those, cause you know, every so often, Tom, you get those, like a bird just got flown off track and you shoot one, right? Yeah. There was a flock of three came in, but the crazy part was two weeks earlier, he shot another one. And when he sent me the picture of the first one and then the second one, I thought, oh, it's just the same bird. He's just bragging that he shot one this year, right? <laughs> but no, it was two weeks apart. He shot a wood duck. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Because, yeah. So. Yeah, that's awfully late. I used to live in Wisconsin. I, I can tell you that's that's late for there for, for the wood ducks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, another yeah, thing Dave. we talk about is um, kind of the cycles in – in hunting with the waterfowl industry. Like you see the cycle of layout blinds and then now we're getting into, everyone's getting the, 
the A-frames. And have you noticed any of those cycles in your time with uh, hunting there, Tom? Oh, sure. Um, but years ago, um, a, a fellow here that I hunted with a lot, um, we decided to build what is still called today among our friends Corn Palace. Um, we used a bunch of hay bales and it was high enough that you could enter it. We put a tarp over the top and um, big opening in front. Uh, and now you go out and you can buy things that mimic that. It's a heck of a lot easier to use because we had to tear it down because the farmer didn't want us to leave that monstrosity out in the middle of the field. <laughs> uh, but uh, the yeah, the, the the way that you lay out for them now is, is certainly more comfortable. Uh, I put in, as, as you indicated, Dave, lying down in white sheets long enough. Um, and now you've got the springs that pop you up and nothing to it. Um, you know, I think I worked out my stomach muscles pretty well. Just, uh, <laughs> might pop up when those geese would come in or the or the ducks mostly but yeah yeah things change but still it's the camaraderie that makes this whole sport so exciting um and as i say if it wasn't for my friends i never would have gotten into making a hunting club um but they they leaned on me long enough and hard enough to <laughs> get it my wife actually runs the quack attack uh, division of our company and um, she and she enjoys chatting with people around around uh, North America about it well that that's awesome Tom and and we're almost at our 60 minute mark here right now so um I think uh, I think we're we're getting close to to just starting scratching the surface um, and picking your brain because uh, I think there's a wealth of knowledge in there and and so much that we could uh, so much more that we could talk about, especially when it comes to the evolution of of um, of the duck hunter and and how things have changed over the years. But you're 100 right when you say um, all the products and, and things to make life a little bit easier and, and comfortable for you have changed, have changed over the years. But the one thing that stays constant is, is, is the love and the passion for chasing the birds and, and being surrounded by your friends. And of course the lies that are told back at, back at outside of the blind, because those are the best, those are the best, uh, memories and, and, the, and it seems like the worst days are, are the best ones that you remember as well. I, I know 20 years in the Army, that's usually the way it was for us. Um, the most uncomfortable you were were the ones that usually made the best memories. Um, so, um, Tom, I, I, I can't thank you enough, um, and I'll let Dave uh, chime in here as well, but I can't thank you enough for coming on and taking time out of your day. I, you're a lot busier than what Dave and I are. I can promise you that. And for you to take um, this time out of your day to sit down and, and talk with a couple Canadians, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Well, first of all, thank you both very much for your interest. Secondly, I talk to Canadians every single day. Perfect. And I thoroughly enjoy it. And in the summertime, my wife and I go out to Vancouver Island and go salmon fishing. So um, your country is our choice 
for recreation and vacation, believe me. Uh, and it's not just because the dollar has a slight advantage. <laughs> uh, it, it's the people that make it worthwhile. And if we ever chat again, then we can chat about dogs because watching dogs during a hunt to oh. me is half of it at least. Well, now, now you're tugging at my heartstrings because that's, that's where I'm at now. I could care less about shooting a bird. I'm, I'm more interested. I brag now when my dog does a nice retrieve for, for my friends, that that's my, that's my pedestal that I, that I climb atop uh, now. Um, Dave to you, buddy. Yeah, Tom, I honestly, when Damien said like, we're getting to the 60 minute mark, I, I checked the time and I'm like, wow, but you know what? Time flies when you're having fun, buddy. And this is, this has been good chat. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting, being able to hunt next year and uh, putting these to the test. But um, hopefully, I honestly say this, hopefully one day we meet up and, and share a blind and I get to hear some of these stories because that's, that's what keeps me going on these hunts. So yeah. Me too. That would, that would be fun. A little range. Yeah. Um, final word to you, uh, Tom. Well, I, again, appreciate your interest. Uh, if there's anything we can do for you, just let us know and we'll send it up. Uh, mail gets up there pretty quickly. And if you guys want to check out, go to quackattack.com. Um, the website's pretty good. It's informative, and you can see all the product there. Just sorry. No, absolutely. And uh, we'll uh, we'll tag that on all our social media, and uh, we'll send we'll we'll let uh, Tom McCoy and and everybody we'll get it all out there to make sure that you guys uh, have this as well, Tom. And uh, we'll spread this, and I. I hope that everybody that's listening um, will at least go check out this product and check out the website because I think you're going to be very, very impressed um, when you when you start reading about it and and learning uh, more from what you've learned from this show. Ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 128 of Union 0430. Um, as always, we will never pretend to be somebody that we are not. We are not experts. We're just a couple friends that love one another's company and bringing on amazing guests and to just chat anything waterfowl hunting. Surround yourself with good people, big love until next time. Thank you.